Welcome to Big Blend Radio with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy, editors of BigBlendMagazine.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Big Blend Radio. You know, every first Monday, we get to chat with military historian and author Mike Wardia. He is an award-winning author, as I said, military historian and a U.S. Army veteran. He was named the author of the year in 2021 by the Military Writers Society of America. And his latest books out of, oh gosh, it's over 20. I think it's 25. Mm -hmm. I, I can't keep up with them. But his latest books are Coyote Recon, The Forgotten Wars of Colonel J.D. Vanderpool. This is a cool story. You need to get it. And uh, also, The Combat Diaries, True Stories from the Front Lines of World War II. You can go to Amazon, but also go right to MikeGuardia.com. And he's joining us today to talk about Irish history, Irish Americans. How did they get here? Why did they come here? And Mm -hmm. um, maybe we will talk about potatoes and the lack of potatoes. So welcome to the show. Uh, Mike, how are you? Hey, ladies. I'm doing well. Always a pleasure to be here. Hey, this is cool. We're going to talk about something different. Um, normally, we're talking about battle stretch strategies and blowing people up and things, you know. Um, that sounds bad, but it's true. Um, but today, we're talking about Irish Americans. Come, Oh, maybe you are talking about things blowing up. Um, but Irish American history, and that's something you chose. So I first want to go to why did you want to talk about Irish American history? What what intrigued you to, to talk? I know it's Irish American History Month, but still, what was it that led you to uh, this choice of topic today? All righty. Well, let's see. Um, I think it was a lot of things. I mean, to start off with, I mean, it is uh, the month that we celebrate Irish Americans and that we celebrate mm-hmm. Irish heritage, you know, and and the, the, then, of course, there's the, uh, there's the ever-present St. Patty's Day. Uh, St. Patrick being the patron mm-hmm. saint of Ireland. And uh, one of the things that they credit St. Patrick with doing is expelling all of the snakes from Ireland. And that mm-hmm. is why today Ireland is one of the few places in the world that does not have a native snake population. And uh, not only that, really just reflecting on all of the contributions that uh, Irish Americans have made uh, to our society that, have made, uh, that, that they've made throughout history. And uh, really just the uh, story of how they overcame a lot of adversity and mm-hmm. how it's a, a story that you uh, you wouldn't expect to have the twist that it does, but it's a, uh, it's a story that we can all take a lesson from. And uh, it's also a story to highlight that, you know, even if you think the uh, odds are stacked in your favor, there could be some things that come out of left field that make your life and uh, your your journey through life exceptionally difficult. No kidding. Well, you know, this, to say. Well, this yeah, is interesting. Seriously. Too, when you think about when things get really tough like that, and you think also about, you know, why we had the world wars, right? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, real terrible things happening, you know, and how people choose to survive when you could say, I'm throwing the towel in and it's that bad. How prisoners of war choose to live through something so terrible. What do you think that is that gets people to just keep fighting for life when you could say, like, 
you know, everything's running downhill. I don't see the light of day. How do we keep persevering forward? What do you think it is? Like through all the research you've done and how many yeah. books, 25, is it 25 books? It is. Oh my God, you're making me old. <laughs> I love it. I love it though. Um, but what is it through all of this that you well, think makes people move forward? Well, I think it's a few things. One is that you really have to know what you're fighting for. And mm -hmm. uh, two, you, you, there's always the promise of something, even if it's just a vague concept that you have, the, the promise of something greater that's going to come on the tail end of it, whether it's really just trying to get back home to your loved ones, whether it's, uh, you know, just wanting to be a survivor or whether it's, you know, telling yourself, okay, what I'm doing has a purpose that goes beyond myself and even goes beyond the source of my torment at the moment. Yeah, I think when you uh, take those things together, and I know that they're pretty broad strokes, but when you take them all together, those are really what motivate the uh, human spirit to endure. And it's funny you should mention that because that reminds me of uh, an anecdote I heard from one of the veterans I interviewed for The Fires of Babylon. It was that book on Eagle Troop and the, and, uh, the Battle of 73 mm -hmm. Easting. Well, one of the uh, key players in that book was a gentleman named Chris Hedenskog, and he was this young 19-year-old private first class in the Gulf War. And, you know, his, his first experience um, to the ravages of war was happening at, at such a young age. And one of the uh, stories that he told me, one of the many stories he told that really sticks out in my mind is uh, when he saw some of the wounded Iraqi soldiers, even those who were fatally wounded, you know, seeing the resilience they had to try to just mm. stay alive, either whether it was trying to hold themselves upright or, you know, uh, uh, crawl out of some earthenwork bunkers, uh, you know, with literally half of their bodies missing. He said, Mike, you know what it reminded me of was a lot of the, uh, a lot of the bucks and the wild game that I used to hunt in Colorado. And he said, you know, uh, you can have, uh, you can have an animal like a 10 point buck or even a mountain goat. Uh, you know, you can, um, you can target the animal and you can uh, shoot it through what would be a critical organ. And, you'd be surprised how long that that animal will try to hold on to dear life just to survive. And if I'm remembering the story correctly, it, it, I think it was a, uh, it was a, it was a buck that he and either his friend or his father were hunting. And uh, one of the rifle bullets like hit this buck pretty much directly through the heart, what would have been a, an instant fatal kill, but that this, uh, but that this animal, you know, crawled on for at least a good, 30 yards up a very steep slope of uh, a hill or a mountaintop before it finally expired. And, you know, you just said that, you, you know, you know that you're doing this to feed yourself and, and feed your family, but you can't help but admire the resiliency of, uh, of an animal to hold on to life or to try to hold on to life that long to even where, you know, it, it has a fatal wound to still hold on and, uh, you know, not only pull itself forward, but pull itself up what is a very treacherous, uh, steep incline. Mm. And that's why you we know, have my, to do all we can to protect animals. <laughs> no, but it's true, my though. grandmother, my grandmother used to say that the that the beginning of life started with spirit. Mm. And and that you need spirit to continue life. And you need spirits to enjoy life. 
Well, no, but that's funny. Yeah, but but Mike, well, she you was know, a funny little British lady. Yeah, she was. But, she was awesome. But I mean, and she was she's only four foot nine, British lady, and she used to put her hands on her hips when anybody crossed crossed her way of thinking. She'd put her hands on her hip and say, "Now you know that's not true," mm-hmm. or <laughs> "You know there's a better way," or "You know that you need to stop and think about this." And so, you know, when I when I look back in history at some things, I can see, we used to call her Nana. Mm-hmm. I think that's a British thing where you call your grandmother Nana. I don't know. But that's what we called her Nana. And I can see her in certain, like right now I'm reading a historic novel about Ireland and I see Nana all over it because we're talking about the, uh, in the novel about the British and the Irish and how they came to separate. And it, it, there is a thing, there's certain personalities, I think, that are handed down. Mm. Like Thanks. you inherit from your ancestors, not all from one ancestor, you inherit things from your ancestors. And I think that's really how history is born. It's like mm. history is what people do and why they do it but i think it you know it comes from how you were born what you were given in your genes and who what made you you to a certain point and then how you make the rest of yourself like part of you is how you're born with genes from your ancestors and then the second part is what did you do with it mm. Does that make sense at all? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it does. Well, going back to the Irish, I mean, when you think about there was the potato famine, there was so much in history, right? Mm-hmm. In Ireland. And it's they had to get through so know, much. It's so, so divided. I mean, you think about Northern Ireland too now, right? And so there's a lot of religious difference. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 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 wild how we can put up lines as human beings mm-hmm. but then you think about that resiliency mike i was talking about about that why is it that we fight so hard to live right and you think about people coming in on the mayflower i mean that wasn't an easy ride that's not like going on a cruise on carnival cruise lines and princess cruises and or viking that's not how it is the mayflower wasn't like that you know and and so i don't I don't think Irish came in on the Mayflower, right? The English did. And then they went to Amsterdam and Holland and came here, right? Um, so the Irish coming here, that was a, that was different, wasn't it? Or did they come in on the Mayflower? So uh, the big wave of Irish immigrants that we got here in America um, was actually attributed to the potato famine. Uh, mm-hmm. the early 1800s. Uh, you know, it, yeah. Now, of course, we had Irishmen who lived in America before that, but uh, the biggest wave that you saw came as the result of the potato blight. And mm-hmm. it, it, it's odd that, uh, it's odd that, you know, a, a famine would precipitate a mass migration to America. And it, it the, the story takes an interesting twist because when the Irish came over here, they were thinking to themselves, okay, well, 
we have a lot in common with the Americans. We're actually kindred spirits because we both hate the British. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, sure. we, we've had a very, re, we've had a very rocky relationship with mm. the British for a number of years now at this point. And, you know, we, we can, we can identify with, with the Americans as our kindred spirits and, uh, mm -hmm. and I'm sure that we will be welcomed with open arms. And, you know, when you think about it, I, I guess in the most logical sense of the construct, you know, it makes sense. I mean, you would expect them to be welcomed with open arms because, you know, I mean, they are ethnically white, just like us. And uh -huh. I'm saying, us in the collective sense says, you know, what the predominant uh -huh. prevailing view of America was at the time. And, uh, you know, they, uh, they share a common language, but the reception wasn't the warm welcome that they were hoping for, because when they got off the boat, uh, you know, America at large was looking at the Irish population and telling themselves, okay, well, yeah, they're, they're white, but they're kind of off white. You know, a lot of them have mm, red hair, they talk weird. funny. And they're all Catholic, Ugh, you know. Um, yeah, see, that's you know, they, yeah. They're saying, okay, well, if they're they're Catholic, they must be agents for the Pope. They must be oh, here to cause yeah. trouble. Maybe try to you know turn uh, mm -hmm. turn the U.S. into a second Vatican. I don't know. Uh, or you know, hey, they 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 mm -hmm. screwed up their own country with the potato blight. You know, they're probably going to import the the same um, the mm -hmm. same blight here in America. And uh, the Irish were horribly discriminated against, uh, mm -hmm. you know, for a long time. And when I was teaching history at the college level, what, what, one of the things that I would show my students, I would show them a photo montage that had all of these uh, Irish attack ads and all of these anti-Irish uh, banners and signs. You know, mm. uh, you would see you would see businesses post these help wanted signs and they would say now hiring help wanted. And then in, then in parentheses yeah. below, it would say no Irish need apply. Right. You know, right. I mean, this, was the, <laughs> yeah. this was the extent of the discrimination. We're saying, you know, mm -hmm. Hey, we really want help. And uh, you know, you can be white, black, Hispanic, you can be Asian, you mm -hmm. can be native American for all we care. But if you're Irish, get the hell out of here. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's not only crazy, that, you huh? also, uh, you know, you also had uh, the Irish become the subject of uh, some very uh, hurtful uh, slurs that have actually mm. have actually stood the test of time and they're used today, but not necessarily as a pejorative. For instance, um, if you have two children who are born to the same parents and uh, they're born either within 12 months of each other or they're born within the, or if they're born within the same calendar year, uh, the popular adage for mm. children who are described as such is Irish twins. Uh, well, the whole term Irish twins came about because there was a stereotype that, you know, the Irish really like to reproduce and they multiply like rabbits. Uh, <laughs> So, you know, if you uh, were not a biological twin, either an identical twin or a fraternal twin, but you were really close in age with your next youngest or eldest sibling, uh -huh. uh, you were an Irish twin. And an uh -huh. Irish kiss was essentially a, yeah. a euphemism for punching somebody in the face. Yeah. 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 Well, well, I have to say it didn't just it didn't just happen in this country. Uh, yeah. Growing up in different countries, uh -huh. Kenya, England, uh -huh. South Africa, Irish jokes were like oh, big. I mean I remember I remember like as a kid mm -hmm. the one joke going around was 
how did an Irishman blow up a car? He mm -hmm. put his lips on the muffler. Like, yeah. That, yeah. I mean, that's that, that, I mean, it's, it's weird that you bring so this up many. because now, like, I have all these Irish jokes go to my head and I'm like, that's not funny, but it is. But it, mm -hmm. it was at the time, like, just because, I mean, I've, listen, I was always the, you know, ugly American in school. Mm -hmm. So I got all of the jokes on me, but it, it was like, I always just thought it was funny because I was a kid and I just thought, well, that's just funny, but I didn't take it mm -hmm. as a, against an Irish person. You could put any person in there. It was just funny to me. But um, really now that I realize that the Irish got nailed because mm -hmm. they, they were in South Africa. I think if they were in South Africa, they mm -hmm. had to be in Australia and New Zealand too. Um, mm -hmm. But I mean, England, England was not nice about the Irish. When I well, growing that, up there, I didn't, I don't, I always thought they the Irish, like just about the I always, religion. I always read the, like Nancy's reading this historical novel, like I read so many novels where the Irish mm -hmm. came in and they were kind of this, they had to work like doubly hard. Well, the, the, almost like slaves. Yeah. I mean, seriously, I know when my brother and I are, uh, 13 months apart think about mm -hmm. that and and yeah. I remember being called an Irish twin yeah yeah so you know it's like hello you know I don't know what happened we look here identical we do look like twins or we did anyway he's passed on now but um I remember the term Irish twins my grandmother is British and she used to always say things about the Irish. Mm. So there's, there is a thing, but um, I think it stems from Catholic versus Protestant. I think it's a religious thing where all that starts. Mm. I don't, because, I mean, even the novel I'm reading now said that when the Irish get mad, the tips of their ears glow red. They're like, come mm. on. <laughs> so it's funny. And they're like, the tips of their ears turn red before their face turns red, whereas the British, their face turns red. Um, I, really? Yeah. They're like, when they get mad, their faces turn red, you know? Uh, but the Irish, the tips of their ears turn red. I'm like, this is so weird. But it it boils it does that. boil down. I know. Well, I'm not saying it's true. This is just, it's a historic novel, but I think it boils down to Protestant versus Catholic. I think it's a religious thing. I really Mike, do. Mike, what do you say about this? Oh my gosh, are we going to get into a yeah, religious get war in now? No, but I, I'm not saying he's right or wrong. I just think yeah. that's the well, difference. You know, it. it uh, I'm sure the Protestantism versus Catholicism is a factor in there. Um, you know, there are there are really as many reasons as the day is long about uh, you know why certain groups of people can't get along, or you know, and uh, you know, certainly there's a whole laundry list of reasons behind why the. Uh, Irish don't like the British and vice versa. Um, mm -hmm. You know, what I've found in a lot of the uh, more contemporary case studies that I've looked at is that, uh, you know, when you have this sectarian violence, 
Um, a lot of it really starts with territorialism and then mm. uh, religion gets thrown into the mix. And it, it, it's, it's I, I think for lack of a better term, it becomes a convenient uh, add-on. Now, I mean, sometimes religion is the start of it, but I've noticed that, uh, you know, as we as we gravitate towards more modern times, uh, a lot of it's mostly about territory and religion is just something that gets thrown in there. It's like once you've mm -hmm. made up your mind that you don't like somebody and that you're committed to misunderstanding them, it, you're going to look for any reason under An the sun that you can to try to to try to keep yeah. that division going less like well i already don't like this person and i don't like them because of a b and c oh they have uh they have d e and f too hey you know what man i'm, I'm just gonna i want to use that to pile on and uh mm. and, so and, it's, and it's religion would be the excuse yeah, yeah. so you know and hmm. it's it's uh it it's I think religion does have a lot to do with the uh, has a lot to do with the uh, split in this case, and I think that's really just mm -hmm. a function of the spirit of the Reformation, because you know mm -hmm. you had um, you know you had uh, you had the big split on mainland Europe uh, starting starting with the Reformation. You had Martin Luther and his ninety five mm -hmm. theses. You had you know then you had the Lutheran Church, and you know from from there you mm -hmm. get you know the calvinists and you know then we have all the we have all the off branches of uh, protestantism you know to include the methodists and the presbyterians and and then uh and, and then the church of england which actually didn't grow out of the uh of the protestant movement on on mainland europe but was more having to do with the whole comedy of errors behind you know king henry Mary, and catherine of aragon and and, uh, yeah. you know, and, and basically, you know, the England just cutting ties with the Pope and said, okay, well, Archbishop of Canterbury, congratulations, you're now the head of the Church of England. So we like these particular <laughs> Catholic traditions, we're going to keep these, but we're going to get rid of some others. Hmm. And uh, I think really just that, um, that, uh, uh, that schism between England and the Pope is really what just mm -hmm. added fuel to the fire of the split between the Irish and the British. And you see that manifest itself in other ways too. I mean, you had the French Catholics who were going after the French Huguenots and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, there's even a lot of things that the Catholic church did at the time that, uh, they still really can't walk away from now. I mean, not, not that we charge that to God. We don't charge that to Jesus. We charge that to the people who were making the bad decisions at the time. But, right. you know, I, uh, yeah, it's I, I want to, I want to touch on that. Because... The bad rap was, was kind of, kind of deserved at at the time because you know the catholic church had just come off you know the spanish inquisition uh you know they had they come off uh mm. you know the uh they, they they had come off the selling of indulgences so there mm. were uh you know and you know the the french catholics going after the french huguenots is is just another example but you know there there were there were definitely reasons for why the protestant movement um arose when it did and it's painful for me to say that because I'm a Catholic myself and it, it's, uh, you know, there were, there were the wrong people in charge making the wrong decisions that just couldn't help but take two, two uh, separate parties and two separate entities and keep forcing them in different directions, you know? Yeah, I think this is such an important conversation because um, we all have our different beliefs on religion, right? And 
um, of what we want to choose, which religion makes sense to us, right? And then there's God and spirit, um, and everybody can choose whether, you know, who, what, and where. Everybody's got their beliefs. But I think a lot of times we look at religion and go, oh, well, religion caused the war. So it's like God caused the war. And so therefore, a lot of times people don't believe in God or religion or any of that because of war, because God gets the rap on war. If God did this, there wouldn't be, you know, he created the wars then, right? So it's oh. kind of interesting what you're bringing up because it's human beings yeah. doing the and wars. We have free will. And, we, yeah. and, and I think it's, you're right, Nancy, it's like this excuse. We're already pissed off with this person for doing this. So now I'm going to tack this on and use this because the greater community that is around you believes mm -hmm. this. So therefore, I can rally the troops better because that's our community versus I'm pissed off with you. So I'm going to have a war with you, me and me, me and me and me and you. You know what I mean? It's like a singular versus the community behind you, whereas the community and church was one back then. Like it, your neighborhood church was you and your family and everybody in the neighborhood kind of thing way back when, right? It was kind of like, and then it, now in this country and around the world, we can go to a synagogue down the street, you mm. know, a few blocks. You could go to, you know, a Catholic church down the street. And I think that's beautiful and great. But I think back then it was like, we're all this. And it was almost like how we are now with political parties. We're doing the same thing. Uh-oh, did I go Did I go astray, Mike? But it's kind of true, right? Isn't it kind of true? This is well, human nature. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, um, it, it, it's part of, it's part of that destination, you know, uh, where, where, where we started with all these divisions, you know, the natural and, and probable consequence of that is, you know, it, it spills into secular politics. Mm. You know, the way I was brought up, my parents moved every year and my mom sent us on Sundays to the nearest church, no matter what denomination it was. So I've been to pretty much every kind of church and you would go to that church every Sunday for six months to a year, and then we would move, and then we go to a different church for another six months to a year. And I remember their teachings, and they were all pretty similar as far as the Ten Commandments. Other than that, the stories and how they taught it and the lessons you were supposed to bring home were totally different. And so, you know, I found it to be very interesting and it gave me an interest in history because I really wanted to know, like, why are we who we are and why do we do what we do? Why do we go to war? Who are we fighting and what for, you know? And then living in different countries, it, it got more confusing. So I look at humanity as who are you really as a person? What do you really stand for? Because I found through the churches 
that they were almost identical, but they they took stabs at each other, which in a way would be against the Ten Commandments, like um, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It went out the window. And so I'm not being against the religion, but I'm just saying, I think what's written and then how people deliver it is two different things. That's that's called life and, and growth and just learning. So in trouble. <laughs> I know, no, but it this is we all learn mm. and grow, right? And so when when we look at war, we've got to look, yeah, let's go to like, World War II. We we gotta look at what you know, World War II. Like you even think about Ukraine right now. You can't expect Ukraine not to stand up and say, screw you back to the Russians. Like we're gonna kick no. Right but in the American and not every not country is blessed by some religion. Right, but somebody but you, comes out and blesses them. Right, but somebody started a war, and you can't just sit back and hope nothing's going to happen. Yeah, no, nothing's... you have to take steps. But you know what I'm saying is right. Um. Oh, Mike, we're yeah. getting in trouble. Are we getting in trouble, we're Mike? So going to get in trouble. <laughs> not with but, me. No, no, no but, but I think this okay, is important. But, okay, so uh, Hitler was blessed by... I guess. Religion. Yes. Oh. And yeah, he, he got blessings from people in power. So... Oh, that's what I'm you like, okay. You, you yeah, know, not, uh, no, 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 I mean, he, he was so obviously the trouble. most evil... I mean, I, I'm gonna put, you know, he's he's evil and I'm I'm gonna put Putin next. I say Putin instead of Putin because Putin. Putin. I'm sorry, I just like to say it that way. But like what what's hap what we do as human beings, everybody we're none of us are perfect and it's all about a level of growth and working to be better. And then there are some people that are just just horrible and Unfortunately, we have to take them out because you, they dirty the water. Like, you know, they dirty the bathwater. We want clean bathwater. Mm -hmm. And some people don't play well in the bathtub. His kids, <laughs> you put the kids in the bathtub together and they play with the rubber duckies. And then there's one that will go like mm -hmm. and be like a total brat. And then there's the one that really does something bad. And then you go, you got to watch this kid over here that, you know, stab the rubber ducky why is the kid stabbing the rubber ducky and if He's someone did stabbing the rubber ducky well no so but but if no one noticed the kid stabbing the rubber ducky and what was going on you never know what goes on you know so there i'm just saying that the, it is weird how human beings do things and this goes back to it i mean i'm going to go back to the potato phantom and, and reel us back in before okay. we every person on the planet emailing us that listens to the show and yelling at us for this but it's true you can't really you can't blame god for what we do as human beings it's a life cycle of no. change and learning okay and some of us just did really bad things and i'm sorry but you defend and say screw you like you can't kill someone if you can't You've got to protect your community, but that's where religion comes in. I think Mike's got this amazing 
viewpoint on this. And Mike, I think that happens not just with the Irish wars, you know, I think it's, I think it goes a long way, but people really attached to belief systems. That's the first place is religion is the, the, that's the biggest belief system in, right? And when you think about it, that is the biggest in. Well, I mean, that's, uh, that was the, hmm. one of the biggest foundations of early modern society. You know, that, that's really mm -hmm. what, uh, I mean, that that's kind of what communities were built around, you know, particularly mm -hmm. uh, when you look at the, uh, what you look, what was known as, as the biblical world at the time, you know, mm -hmm. you, you had the land of Judea and, you know, you had, uh, you know, you had Canaan and, you know, and uh, even, um, even ancient Egypt, you know, they, uh, they, they all tended to congregate around their, you know, culture and, uh, you know, the pantheon of gods and even the Greeks and, uh, you know, the Greek gods that worked their way into Roman mythology. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, also looking back to Mike, when you think about um, religious beliefs, I mean, we've also passed beliefs on to indigenous people in history. True. And, and that's a whole other thing too. It's like, we obviously want this connection, the soul connection, right? To the greater spirit, the greater God, the greater being of who, why we are here. We all want that. That's why I go back to that question at the beginning is like, why do we want to survive? What is it? When you're going through such hell, what is it? I think it's all connected with, it's like a weird full circle. I'm not trying to be really weird here, but it's true. When you think about, we're going to fight, we're going to go through this really brutal, bloody, muddy, mm -hmm. horrible, deadly thing. But at the same time, we have this spiritual thing going on too, that keeps you living, but it's but we're also using that as a token. It's weird. You know what I mean? That's right. a, it's a, and, well, and if you think even, even wouldn't you say the Gulf Wars are part of that too? Um, Desert Storm and all of that kind of ties into, or no? To an extent. I mean, I think it's more about, uh, I mean, it was more about regional balances of power and uh, mm -hmm. you know, not, uh, not, um, not uh not reintroducing the brand of you know expeditionary totalitarianism like hitler and stalin were doing mm -hmm. right yeah. but i think people got mad at different religions over it because well, of the islam thing and all of that so then that, that brings in no matter what i just feel like every war has a religious side to it well it's it's interesting that people feel when it comes to religion, that you must believe what they believe, you know, instead of like, okay, you believe this and I believe that and let it go. Oh, that's a good point. I, no, it's interesting because, it, I mean, we've lived in several different countries and we've um, talked to so many people, obviously, with the radio show. The idea that if you don't believe my way, hit the highway, mm -hmm. as opposed to, oh, that's interesting. 
let me think about that. Let me. Well, let me at, make it very clear. I and, don't know anything. So you can email no, me but, all you want. I don't know. <laughs> no, but just look at it from a different point of view, you know. Mm. Just look at it from a different point of view and see what in your heart makes you react and what doesn't. You know, I I feel like, um, oh boy, I have to choose the words carefully, that you should protect yourself from being brainwashed. Yeah, or hurt. If from any degree, whether it be teachers, religions, or what have you, is that somewhere inside yourself, you find your true self and go with that. Mm. As opposed to, I read this, so now I believe it. Mm. I mean, how many times have history books been written and then they corrected themselves? Oh, because they found a new. Let's just look at social, look know, at social media today. Fossil. They found a new this they found something they found more evidence so at the history books are like at the time it was written they believe this doesn't make it true it just that's what they believed on the evidence they had at that time expect it to change in the future mm. it, it i mean it's like so we don't want something new to happen that changes the beliefs who we were taught as opposed to embracing, oh, wow, hey, look at that. That's now new. Mm. Like they just found, mm. I have to say it, Lisa, you're going to get mad, but I have to say it, they just found fossils of what they call a penguin that is, and it's the size of Shaq O'Neal. Okay. This is like over this is a giant penguin. Penguin. A giant Nancy's excited penguin. about this. I am no, I love dinosaurs. I do. I but, like the history but this, of watching but, but this, the actual evidence of the bones. Well, this is interesting. You're okay. talking about natural history. So we always have these natural history findings, but, but, but we also but, have them for human history where we exactly, find humans but, and the oldest humans and so, and also concentration you know, camps, was, things like that that we didn't six know about. months ago you told somebody there was a six-foot penguin they like say you're nuts but now <laughs> we have evidence that there was a there is was a six-foot penguin watch out i don't Mike. know why they're they coming, they're coming i don't to know Minnesota. why they, <laughs> but why did they shrink i don't know all right we'll have a we'll have a yeah, sequel to happy feet yeah, I know. And wait, 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 there was there, there, there no, was a there was a famine. But I want to I, I want to go back to yeah. I mean, things change history-wise. Change, and so embrace the change. Don't get so locked up in your viewpoints that you can't embrace change. Like if you get new information, embrace it as opposed to oppose it. Well, I want to go. I want to. I want to go back to Mike on this because when you think about history changing, I mean, when we were taught about Irish American history, because I'm trying to circle this back around before we get a gazillion emails. Okay, sorry. Um, going back to that, like, no changes. Like, I don't think when I was in high school we knew that much about 
Irish Americans or Irish getting out. We knew there was a potato famine. And we knew that part, but it was like, there was a potato famine and people were hungry and some died and some moved on. That's about probably it that we had in our textbooks. And mm -hmm. I think it's like only maybe, maybe it's just my age over the last 20 years mm -hmm. that we're really starting to understand and, and movies have done, I mean, novels I've read so much over the years of the Irish were so feisty and really resilient human beings to still mm -hmm. be here. They, they went through so much to still be here, you know? And um, I have a huge respect for the Irish. And by the way, they tell really better jokes than a lot of people. <laughs> um, I mean, I was talking about jokes earlier about them, but they could beat you to it. And if you think about the West and the Southwest, um, you know, the Chinese did so much in dynamite and blowing things up and the railroads and everything. Mm -hmm. But the Irish yeah. were pretty much a lot of those prospectors who said, oh, hell yes, gotten that those terms like that accent, they'll go West. And they went through a lot of the moving West um, and and that was brutal. That was brutal. And there's many historic hotels with ghosts of Irish prospectors. I've, I've stayed in a lot of them, but um, their history is huge in the West. But going back, you know, Mike, do you think we've kind of dropped the ball in Irish history in schools over the years? Because I know you've taught over the years and in different ages. Right. Um, or is it just yeah. me that it's just kind of been whitewashed over like that's a term like kind well of like, I, I i think it hasn't really gotten as much attention as it deserves um because mm -hmm. the the subtext that i think a lot of modern historians would use to approach it would be you know hey uh uh it's not just identifiable people of color who have been targeted with discrimination it's also been the irish who you know mm -hmm. were uh, as demonstrably white as the next person. But when they came over here from the potato famine, you know, a lot of them came with the spirit of optimism saying, okay, well, the Americans are our kindred spirits because mm -hmm. we have a common enemy in the British. They hate the Brits as much as we do. Uh, mm -hmm. So they're going to welcome us with open arms. And the reception that a lot of Irishmen got when they came here was much decidedly different in the sense that, you know, they were saying, okay, well, yeah, the Irishmen are white, but they're kind of off-white. You know, a lot of them have mm -hmm. red hair, they talk funny, yeah. and they're Catholic. Whereas, you know, mm -hmm. uh, America at this time is still predominantly Protestant. And, mm -hmm. you know, they're seen as, you know, they're, they're looked upon with suspicion. And, you know, they, uh, they also are not looked upon necessarily as allies. They're, you know, they're either, you know, tacit agents for the Pope or, you know, they're just people who are going to uh, ruin America like Ireland itself was ruined by the potato famine. You know, not that that lay at the fault of any one particular Irishman. You know, it's just, uh, you know, no, they, were seen, just what yeah, happened. They, they were not welcomed as graciously <laughs> as the English and the German immigrants were. But, uh, you know, the, mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the rabbit hole goes deeper and th there oh. is a bit of a redemption arc here too, because, you know, uh, the Irish were horribly targeted with 
a lot of in institutional discrimination. You know, that you would see these help wanted signs in uh, businesses across America that would say, uh, now hiring help wanted, but no Irish need apply. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, I mean, yeah. imagine that you have a whole, you have mm -hmm. a whole group of people who are ethnically white by every sense of the measure, and yet they're being excluded because of their ancestral heritage. Um, now, not only that, they also became the target of a lot of, uh, of a lot of pejoratives and slurs that still stand today, although they've lost a lot of the pejorative connotation. You know, for instance, um, Irish twins uh, mm -hmm. refers to siblings who were born within the same calendar year or who were born at least uh, 12 months mm -hmm. apart. Well, the, the yeah. term Irish twin yeah. originated because the stereotype was, you know, the Irish, they like to multiply like rabbits. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, then, of course, there was an Irish kiss, which was a dignified way of saying, hey, I am going to punch somebody in the face. Mm -hmm. um, but the redemption arc here was that, uh, you know, a lot of the uh, discriminatory, discriminatory attitudes against the Irish uh, subsided in one of a lot of ways, you know, uh, not only in terms of the prospectors uh, that uh, that Nancy had mentioned, but uh, you know, a lot mm. of the uh, early Irishmen who came here, mm. a lot of them, especially in New England, because they couldn't find a lot of jobs in the private sector, a lot of them mm -hmm. became cops and they became firefighters. And mm -hmm. if you look at the uh, if you look at the historical rosters of uh, you know of the um, of uh, well any one of those major police departments in New England, be it the Boston PD, NYPD, or mm -hmm. the FDNY, uh, you'll see that a disproportionate number of those of, of, of those cops and firefighters have Irish surnames. You know, their names like Kennedy and Sullivan and mm -hmm. O'Leary mm -hmm. and O'Reilly and, and, and Hennessy, mm -hmm. you know, all, uh, all men who, who have an Irish background. And, you know, at, at, at some point, people started to say, well, hey, you know, uh, these Irishmen are, are uh, taking that same level of intensity that we know them for, and they're keeping our streets safe. You know, they're serving, they're protecting. Huh. Uh, you know, they're, they're they're putting out these house fires, and uh, they gain a lot more credibility in the throes of the Civil War because you had you had those Irish brigades, and uh, you know where uh, you know where um, where either all of the uh, soldiers or an overwhelming majority of them were uh, were Irish, and uh, man they were just fierce on the battlefield and you know people started to say mm -hmm. well hey you know what the the irishmen they're they're loyal to their communities they're loyal to their countrymen you know what maybe we were wrong about them all along and uh you know it, you just go on to uh have a list of uh irish americans and irish immigrants who have uh, contributed so greatly to american history uh, so the redemption arc is there and i think that's what makes the story end on a positive note yeah, and also, what about uh, Irish Irish who have fought in wars too? Yeah, like yeah, that's right. The Mexican American War, the Irish stood up mm -hmm. uh -huh. on our side. That's I right. listen. If you're gonna get in a battle, I want an Irish. I I know, like I have Irish friends, mm -hmm. and listen, I've seen bar brawls go down. <laughs> and if you're gonna decide on anyone, you side on the Irish because they will they will take you out. Yeah. They will, <laughs> I'm serious. Now, if you get an Italian and an Irish, I'm running. I'm just yeah. running because someone's going to blow up. But you know what I mean? But, you know, I, I went to school with a lot of Irish in South Africa. And um, yeah, you don't you don't mess with the Irish because they will they they have a good temper too. like, you know, not all. But um, 
I just, I witnessed that, you know what I mean? But at the same time, most passionate people and sweet, kind, kind, you know, it, when I just, I just wish we didn't fight over things, you know, but that's the way the world is. But I think you're really right. And when you think about, you know, the Northeast, I know Massachusetts, Boston, you know, but right now we're recording out of uh, Columbia, South Carolina, Mike. And I was looking up Irish history and immigration here. Lo and behold, this is one of the top places they moved to. It's Charleston, South Carolina too, Savannah, Georgia. So this, we like mm -hmm. the Irish took care of the coast, basically. They went from Boston all the way down. Some said that we want a warmer climate. We're going south. So if you're, if you're going to Charleston and Georgia, like Savannah, Georgia, you know they got into military too, right? That those are such military cities. I, I yeah. yeah. Have you have, in your research have you come across military folk that you're like interested in that were Irish? Well, um, yeah. As a matter of fact, um, we can point to the Kennedy family. You know, I mean JFK. Ooh, yeah. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. And. Not, not only John F. Kennedy, but his his big brother Joe Kennedy, you know, who was uh, you know, mm -hmm. was, was um, you know, unfortunately a casualty of war, and you you can even throw Bobby Kennedy in there too because uh, he served during the last year of the Second World War. So you know you have that uh, you have that Irish resilience there, and uh, you know. Uh, apart from war, but I think very closely related to it is the sport of pugilism. You know, you had quite a few, uh, quite a few famous uh, boxers of Irish descent, Billy Kahn being one of them, you know, the, the heavyweight boxer who, uh, you mm -hmm. know, could hold his mm -hmm. own against the likes of Joe Lewis. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Th there are several people out there either, either, um, either first-generation Irishmen or, uh, you know, people of Irish descent who, uh, mm -hmm. you know, had stood up and done great things for America. You, When you yeah. say about boxing, I would, that's always been the beginning thing mm -hmm. of novels yeah. is the Irish coming over and boxing to make money. Mm -hmm. Survive here. Mm -hmm. Is that a true thing? I mean, I think there was even that mm -hmm. movie with Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise, I think, when they were married. Yeah, Far and Away. Yeah, that was a good movie. Uh, it um, was. It was. And I just wonder about mm. that. Like, is that a true thing? Because here you get off a ship and then you you get into a boxing match, like mm -hmm. you, people do with, you know, fighting cocks and everything. They're they're but actually called pugilists. Oh, that's a big word. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> like they they do that, like they get off the ship and that people bet on you and. You know, and it seems that that was a way for the Irish to get some money, like quickly, if you're a male. And then if you're a woman, well, you know what was happening with women. Is that kind of the true thing, Mike? Well, there is a shred of truth to it. Yeah, I mean, that is how uh, some early mm -hmm. Irish immigrants were making money. You know, they were making money fighting. And you know, then you also, I'm, I'm sure you're probably familiar with the, uh, with the with, with the film the gangs of new york mm -hmm. uh, yeah that mm -hmm. epic film with daniel day lewis and leo dicaprio oh uh, yeah you know, yeah 
they were, uh, you know, they were, you know, you, you, you had a, uh, you had folks who were making money with their fists and, you know, unfortunately mm-hmm. taking that to a, a point where they were making money running the block. Um, yeah. But, uh, but the, the, uh, the flip side of that was that, yeah, you know, a lot of these uh, same Irishmen were on the right side of the law as well, you know, and they were enforcing the law too. Well, they had, they had to know it from the other side too, right. To be able to enforce it. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about Daniel Day Lewis. Remember my left foot? God, he did a mm-hmm. lot of good movies like last of the Mohicans and stuff. Sorry. I went into my- movie land. My dad was a pugilist, as he yeah. used to say. He didn't like the term boxer. When he went out of high school, he went into boxing. And he taught me the word is pugilist. Pugilist? pugilist. He said he's a pugilist, not a boxer. Mm. I and I don't know. know. I mean, I think it's the same thing. But apparently, a pugilist is a boxer with a brain. Oh, I thought you said a pugilist. I didn't that's know what a pugilist. He, no, a pugilist. P U G U, pugilist. Okay. Okay. Mm. And, uh, hmm. uh, I don't know. That's what he, he called it pugilist, P U G I L I S T. Um, and it was uh, a pugilist to him, was a boxer who got paid for boxing. Well, and he got paid for boxing. Oh, so it was professional. You're a professional. Yeah. Instead of being a street fighter. He didn't get that far. Hmm. Uh, you know, because I guess he wasn't that good at it. I don't know. But he used to tell me, don't say boxer, say pugilist. It's like, don't <laughs> say pirate. It's a privateer. Yeah, he just said it did that. Um I don't know. He just said that you don't use the word boxer, you use pugilist, but I've never heard anybody say pugilist, but him. Mike, have you heard of that? Have you heard of that at all? This is new to me. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, that there's a, uh, there's quite a swath of the population that prefers pugilism and pugilist over boxer. Wow. I've never heard this term. Like here's our family history on radios. I know. I never thought of it. Nancy likes to just dig up our dirt on shows. It's great. (laughs) Well, well, it's it's a classy way of saying we're going to beat you up, but it's we're not in the streets, right? That means we're not in the streets. You know, we're, we're, this is a professional thing. I don't know what my dad told me. Wow. All right. So, uh, so, here it is. We're, Mike Guardia's next segment is going to be on uh, Hollywood celebrities like Lee Marvin and mm-hmm. Ronald Reagan and Clark Gable, mm-hmm. who served in the military and at war. That's going to be our next show. Uh, first Monday, every first Monday here on BigBlendRadio.com. Uh, also, keep up with Mike at MikeGuardia.com. Uh, his latest books are, again, Coyote Recon, The Forgotten Wars of Colonel J.D. Vanderpool. That's why I'm so mm. excited about Lee Marvin with this, because I feel like, and, uh, there's, this, cool. like there's parallel lines with these guys. Um, also, but obviously, though, like J.D. Vanderpool really went off and did this whole military career of all these other things. And then Lee Marvin went off and did acting and singing. But there's like a connectivity there so i'm very excited about this next interview with mike 
Uh, Steve Schneikert will be joining us on that too. I just talked to him, uh, Mike, he'll be on the show, uh, our Hollywood historian. So we're gonna get both sides. Here's the military and then the Hollywood history. This is gonna be such cool. a cool, cool show. But the other book of Mike's latest books is The Combat Diaries, True Stories from oh. the Front Lines of World War II. I awesome. think that's an important book for people to read because we're losing our World War II heroes. Mike, we're really kind of at that tail end, aren't we? Like with our yeah. World War II heroes. It's, mm -hmm. it's like a generational shift is happening on all fronts, even mm -hmm. on the boomer side. It sucks. <laughs> it yeah. just sucks. You know, so I think it's wonderful that you're capturing everyone's stories and um, we're excited for your next book. So you want to give everyone a sneak preview of what's happening next? Yeah, so um, they can, among the titles they can expect to see in the near future, there's, um, there is Sarajevo at Dawn, uh, which talks about the uh, spy war in Bosnia and, you know, how the U.S. Army was running counterintelligence um agents against the uh against the bosnians the serbs and the croats and uh you know how how uh some uh how these uh army counter intel agents were supposed to be you know half soldier and half james bond <laughs> and <laughs> and uh th then there's then there's another one uh that deals with um the combat engineers in vietnam and uh they, you know I, I i think that's a vitally important story um because when I say combat engineering, I, I don't mean somebody uh, who is doing calculations and constructions. Um, none of the uh, none, none of the more fancy aspects of engineering, I guess you would say. But uh, you know, combat engineering is in people who you know lay landmines and you know people who uh, people who set obstacles for the enemies to run into, and uh, you know people who uh, people who set barbed wire traps and people who have to clear landmines. You know, it, it's mm -hmm. a uh, it's a very nitty gritty job um, that you know that uh, mm. that is right there alongside the infantry and the and uh, the tanks and the artillery. But I don't think it gets uh, as much as much press or PR as it should. I so agree with you because I've really often wondered, like, okay, when we've gone to different historic battlefields and mm -hmm. we hear the stories, like one battlefield, Lisa, where was that where the um, the homestead house was like 20 feet from the battleground? Monacacy. Monacacy yeah. in, in Washington, not Washington, um, Maryland, outside of D.C., very close, well, yeah, nearby in Maryland, uh, Monacacy is part of like it's a series of farmhouses, basically. Yeah, and um, the family, you know, the the wife would take the kids downstairs into the basement area of the farmhouse, and yeah. it's in the Civil War history. And they're you know here they're doing the Civil War outside your bedroom window, literally. Yeah, I mean you've got to think like you know World War Two was like that too. You know where. You know, you're being bombed. What's happening in in Ukraine right now? It's like, it. How? What do you tell your kids? How do you protect your kids? But this is your own home. You're on this pristine piece of land. It's a quiet living. You're working hard. Your kids are working the land. It's back in the days when people had more kids to work the land. And then next thing you know, you're being invaded with a bunch of people that are blowing each other up on your doorstep. And and then we were in one. Um... Uh, Tyrone Plantation, where mm -hmm. you, you listen to this grant. 
was in the lower floor while the war was happening. I mean, we've been- and his donkey would pee on charcoal downstairs. Yeah. And you can stay in a room there now. Anyway, <laughs> that's yeah. a whole other no, deal. I mean, it makes history come alive if you travel and go to these historic places when you mm -hmm. can, especially taking your children. Because history in school can be like, eh, you know, yeah. and but if you take oh. them to the places where things happened, mm. it comes alive. And I, I, I really hope I, I wanted to touch on that about going to places. Mike, um, you're mm -hmm. in Minnesota. We're going to mm -hmm. come see you. We're coming. We're coming mm -hmm. up north. Yeah. And, and I'm scared because we have to drive through snow in, in the next oh. couple of days. But um Ooh. Uh, on on a on a somber note, I know we we are leaving on a high note, but on a somber note too, um, I I believe you lost a a loved one from one of your books that's that was living near you. Am I right on that? Oh. that yes. Um, yes. So um, and uh, uh, it was rather oh. sudden, um, but not necessarily a surprise. Um, but Marty Romano, uh, he was um, he was. He, uh, he he was the PT boat crewman. He was on he was on PT three hundred six in the Mediterranean. And uh, after after the war, uh, he settled in settled in Minneapolis. And he uh, built a lot of the uh, he he was a civil engineer by trade. And he mm -hmm. ended up building a lot of the um, a lot of the landmarks here in the city that uh, people either either walk across or they drive through every day um yeah he he has his uh he has legacy written you know all over the uh all over the twin cities just for the bridges and the tunnels that uh that he was responsible for building and uh at the age of 98 98 no less he passed away and uh, wow. he was the last surviving crew member of pt 306 and mm. uh i had plans to attend his funeral, but unfortunately, uh, I I got terribly ill that weekend that oh. uh, we were supposed oh. to bury him. But uh, but I was there in spirit, and I'm actually uh, for one of the uh, upcoming World War II roundtables. Um, I'm going to be given a I'm gonna, I'm going to be given a presentation on uh, on his life and career because oh. uh, yeah he he's he's one of that greatest generation, and oh. he's one who. Uh, one who really embodies the spirit of the times and yeah we're, we're we uh mm. we need more folks like him around mm. yeah I, I remember him being as you know even before the book came out you talked about him and um he was saying like when we come up we'll go see like his bridges and hopefully even meet him and um i'm so i'm so sorry and you know that that's the thing when you talk about the this greatest generation and um, we talk about war today. We went all over the place. Obviously, we always yeah. do that, right, Mike? Um, <laughs> but I mean, how can you, you know? We let, let's have a discussion on why we kill each other, right? Uh, in war, well, but it's that's the truth, and that's something we we explore on these shows. But it's you know when when some something is wrong in World War Two and World War One, those were two wars that were so um, people. Crazy. put themselves out there not even knowing better about skills right there so many people just showed up and and i think that's something in life that we need to embody more 
is to show up and you know all these uh, this has been a wild show and so we appreciate your time mike and the people that you interview and write about their legacy their lives i think you're doing important work we always talk about that on the show but um when when we lose well, they their life be forgotten they're, they're not forgotten so yeah. I, I encourage people to to go buy your books and and read these stories because they're inspirational you know, we lose these these heroes, right? And sometimes we don't know these heroes exist, but that's what Mike does. He introduces us to these heroes and may they not just be forgotten. May we remember them, maybe read about them and be inspired by them to show up in life, and, period. And not necessarily and, even in the military, just to show up. But then it's also good to read about them not a hundred years later. No. No, let's let's yeah. move. Yeah, and and and, and, all, and to connect with those now, today, today. Mm -hmm. So, thank you again, everyone. MikeGuardia.com is the website to keep up with Mike. Keep up with us here every first Monday. We chat with Mike. Uh, so keep up with us at BigBlendRadio.com. Uh, if you're listening on our Big Daily Blend show, our music and conversation show, we're gonna have to rope Mike in on one of those crazy shows with us. Yeah. We're gonna get him on one of those. Mm -hmm. um, that show is fun. We play music. We talk talk about rabbit holes. Like basically, that's all our radio shows are big rabbit holes. Um, <laughs> but he he is so. If you're listening on on that show, we get to play over and over from Madonna. That's his pick. Um, so enjoy that. So thanks so much, Mike. Thank you, ladies. Always a pleasure to be here.